welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. I love a good business book. Hi there, this is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. I recently read the business book, Believe to Achieve, See the Invisible, Do the Impossible by Howard H. White or H. And Howard has spent a career mentoring athletes like Michael Jordan, yes, that Michael Jordan, and Charles Barkley. And he's also built a successful career in the corporate world working for Nike. And more recently, he's turned his experiences into the business book, Believe to Achieve. The book will help you with things like goal setting, putting your best foot forward, and making it happen. But I started by asking H why he wrote the book in the first place. I realized that I would not be where I am today if there had not been people who, and I like to say, people who could see more in me than I could see in myself at the time. People who put a lot of their energies and time and efforts into really just into helping me see a bigger part of life, a bigger picture. And as I grew you know, when I was in college, there were always been people that just took an interest in me. I started playing basketball because my father, who had left home and we had really nowhere to go. And it was by that time, my mother, I was the youngest in the family. So my brother, older brother had gone into the service. My older sister, she had gotten married. And it was me and my other sister she wasn't there that long. We had nowhere to go. And my mother's sister's husband had just passed. They had no family, no kids. So we got to move in with her. And she lived on this, a little farm in the middle of the woods. And this was right around 1966, the beginning of integration. And one day, a couple of friends came by. And down one end of the woods, it was a pretty racist reality. You know, they practically, it was all white. It wasn't practically, it was all white. And a new school had opened up. Integration, I think my friends were a little older, so they were at that high school. I was in the eighth grade going to school across town. So they said they let you play basketball down at the new gym a few miles away. And so we rode our bicycles down, walked in that gym, and there were no kids in the gym. But there were three men, and they were down the other end shooting around. When they saw us, they asked us that we want to play a game. And we ended up playing with them. They beat us pretty bad. But afterwards, this man walked up, and he introduced himself. He said, hi, son, my name is James Hathaway. I'm the coach at Kickatan High School. He said, have you ever heard of the big O? Everybody had heard of the big O. It's like asking somebody, had they heard of Michael Jordan? And I said, yes. He said, if you listen to everything I tell you, you could be just like the big O. And again, I couldn't even play basketball, but I was dumb enough to listen to someone who saw more in me than I could see in myself. And I think really, that's really all my journey has been. How do I make and help people see more in themselves 
that they are equipped to see. And once you see something in yourself, your subconscious reality, you know, almost digs and wants it to happen. So if people did that for me all along my path, I felt that the least I could do was give some of that back. And the big O, of course, is Oscar Robertson. Is that Oscar correct? Robertson, correct. And part of your journey has involved you working with athletes like Michael Jordan. I'm wondering if you could if you could tell me a little bit about what it was like to coach or mentor Michael Jordan. You know, I think it's easy when people say you, you mentor Michael Jordan. Uh, well, Michael Jordan, one thing he had going for him and still has today, he listens. I mean, he literally he listens. So from the time we were together and for most people, their belief, because these are celebrities and superstars, they don't really see them as real people. They see them as celebrities and superstars, but really they're just normal people. And I think deep inside, they're really looking for people that's going to treat them like that. That's going to tell them when they're doing something that might be wrong. That's going to steer them in the right direction. People that they can depend on for advice. And people that's going to be brutally honest with them, whether they like it or not. You know, Charles Barkley and Charles can be a bit of a wild guy, but he's one of the best people on the planet. You know, I would see Charles on Christmas mornings. He would get up and he would take a early trip to a children's hospital to spend time with those children before he would go home with his own family. And in most of these guys, whether it's Michael, whether it's Charles, whether it was Moses Malone, their mothers, and possibly because my mother was so close to me, I became extremely close to their mothers. Yeah. And that's how when I was a recruiter, when I was in college, I recruited, you know, because my mom's meant so much to me. I felt that they were just really mama's boys, too. And I always was very close, whether it was Mama Jay with Michael and Granny with Charles or Mama Woods with Tiger. So these people aren't so much different than the people that we know the people that we've grown up with. It's just that they have accomplished things that most of the average people would never accomplish. And how much of that do you think is down to one look or two natural talent? Well, obviously, natural talent has a great deal to do with it. But I think still there's that stroke of genius or luck that you're in the right place at the right time. You know, and, and you learn things. When I was a when I was young and it was interesting when you're out playing and I was always I was with the older guys in the neighborhood and we would be out playing some pick up basketball, football, and you knew you had to be home for dinner, you know, supposed to be home for dinner at like five. And you actually I would get upset because they didn't have to be home and I wanted to hang out with them. And I remember one day 
one of the guys, he said, why are you so upset? I said, because I want to just stay out here with you all. I don't want to go home. And he said, well, why is your mother, why is she calling you? Why do you have to be home at five? I said, for dinner. And he said, well, let me tell you something. You think we have such a glamorous life. But before I left home, it was my wife saying, you know, the baby need diapers. You got to go pick some diapers up. You know, we need some milk in the house. You know, we need X, Y, Z. You know, we need this. And he said that someone is actually calling you home for dinner. He said, boy, you better get on home and have your dinner. But really, stop thinking that we have this tremendous life. And that stuck with me. This older guy was telling me that let's look at where you are today and let's stop looking at who you think and what you think we are. Because you have it so well and you don't even know it. One thing that stands out is the work ethic of people you've worked with, like Michael Jordan. And it's actually something you talk about a lot in your book. You you have a, a whole section dedicated to making it happen and putting your best foot forward. So so what separates somebody from who is successful and somebody who's not successful in terms of their work ethic? Or how would, you, how would you recommend somebody who's struggling to cultivate a work ethic that they can stick to? Well, Brian, you know, here it is. There are plenty of people with talent, and it goes far beyond athletic talent. It might be a gift for math. It might be a gift for music. It might be some gift that they really can't unlock because they aren't willing to put what it takes. They aren't willing to sit at the feet of a master and learn, and learn, and relearn. I told a group of kids one night that I was speaking, I said, wow, I used to look at people and say, boy, they're really old. And now when I look in the mirror, I found myself being one of those old people. (laughs) But what I realized was I would not be where I am today if I had not listened to them. So if you want to do something great, find you a old person and sit at their feet and learn. And what if you feel like you don't have that person within your like social net, immediate social network? For example, if I am a writer and I wanted to study how to become, you know, a, a successful writer, but it might be very hard for me to to sit at Stephen King's feet, so to speak, and learn from him. What would you suggest that I do? You know, if in fact, if you're young and a writer, you go and start with, they don't have to be Stephen King, you start with a teacher. And once, it's funny, once you let people know that you are interested in what they do, they usually bend over backwards to help you. Now, if you're older, Here's the beauty of the world we live in today, which was not the world that I grew up in. You can read. You can go to the Internet. You can plant seeds in you and they can be the strongest seeds ever. By keep going and doing this, you water them every day. So I'm a firm stickler of structure, habit and discipline. So as a general rule, I ask kids, did you make your bed up today? 
And, you know, you get most of the time you get no. And I tell them, I said, if you really want to be something like do something like make your bed up every day. Because it creates habit, discipline and structure. And if you can create habit, discipline and structure, you can do anything in the world. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't have time to sit down and read. I don't have time to go and find out things. And my answer becomes everybody in life wants something. There are just very few people willing to give up anything to get it. So I always start out with first have a vision. Have something that you see crystal clear. Number two, write it down somewhere because they say only 20% of the people in the world have written definite positive goals. Number three, decide what you're willing to sacrifice. Decide what you're willing to give up to make that reality come true. And number four, every day you wake up, be about the business of making your dream come true. Mm, that's good advice. I can think of a time when, you know, I wasn't writing that much and I, you know, gave up spending time playing computer games, for example, to find more time to write in the morning. Well, another thing I'm struck by is how failure is a big part of, you know, putting your best foot forward. And Michael Jordan has that famous quote about losing more than 300 games. And I know, and, and overcoming setbacks is perhaps a lesson that people have to learn along their journey. Uh, and I know in the book, you did talk about a, a setback during your corporate career and, and how you overcame it and how you've turned that into a teaching experience. I was wondering if you, if you could elaborate on that a little. little. Yeah. You know, I put a blog out yesterday. I don't know if it's been posted yet, but it was about being on top. And really what, I, what it was about, Beyonce has a song out, uh, He Still Loves Me, and it said, you go to bed on top of the world and you wake up and the world's on top of you. And as I look at the things in my life, when I, after that man told me that I could be just like the big old, man, I went out and I cut some trees down. I went and found some soda bottles and I took them to the store and cashed them in. And I bought me a gold and a ball, just built me a little basketball court. And I played a lot of basketball. And I was in the eighth grade. I changed schools following this girl. And I went to this school. And lo and behold, the school was had only three blacks in the entire school. The girl that I changed for, she was not one of them. So here I was at this school alone, pretty disappointing. And my mom said, let me go to the school because my sister had told her that education was the important part. So wherever I could get this education, she should let me do it. So I could not go to her and say, Mama, I can't get an education at that school, you know, because the girl won't there. I couldn't convince her that I shouldn't be there either. So here I was at this school. I did not know a single soul, but I got to play basketball. I wasn't any good. They weren't any good. And I would have never played at black school that I was attending. But I got to be on the basketball team at this school. Voted most popular boy in school that year. Went to that high school with that coach the next year. And in a short time, I became an All-American. My senior year, I tore my knee up. Pretty disappointing. But I still got a scholarship, went to college, and then started, played, 
There was only a big H on the back of my uniform. Everything was going great on top of the world. We won the NIT championship. We were picked to compete for the national championship the next year. And my knee, I tore the other knee up. And as devastating as that was, basketball just wasn't any fun. When I graduated, the coach had said I got drafted, but basketball wasn't fun. He asked me, had I ever thought about coaching? And all of a sudden I said, no, but maybe that wouldn't be bad. So I got to dream about something all over again. Got involved with, at that time, the greatest player in the world in high school, who was Moses Malone. So Moses and I became extraordinarily tight. He signed to go to Maryland, but he was only there one day because they drafted him to go into the pros to play for the Utah Stars. So that was a disappointing thing. And after a while, I got out of coaching, and all of a sudden, the guy that had taken my place and started in my place when I got hurt, after 10 years, he saw me and he said, you know, I think there's this great job at Nike. You'd love it. And I said, what is Nike? What are you talking about? He said, you'd love it. You'd love it. He asked his wife. He said, wouldn't he love it? He said, oh, he loved that job. It happened. His sister was going with the guy that was the East Coast field rep. The guy had to come back out to Oregon. So it left the job there. And I saw the guy's name in the telephone book. I didn't know who the heck it was. John had told me the guy's name was Kenny White. So I looked in the telephone book one day at the insurance company and I saw all these Kenny Whites, but there was a funny spell, Kenny White, K-H-E-N-I. I said, I bet that's the guy. I called the number. Sure enough, it was the guy. He told me to stop by. They were having a going away party and I did. He said, send him a resume and I did. Then he called me and said, well, they're giving the job to somebody else. They're changing the direction of it. Yeah. Later, he called and said, when can you start? I started at Nike, and the first person that I had to be with and mentor as a client was Moses Malone. <laughs> he had Converse and came to Nike. So here I was with Moses Malone again. Yeah. Several years after that, because me and Mo were still close, several years after that, here comes a young kid named Michael Jordan in Barkley. So when I look at the raise, the rise in power in that, and then years down the road, when I was on top of the world, where I have the greatest athletes that Nike has, then there's this FBI investigation. And they go through the whole FBI investigation. And all of a sudden, when that's over, the founder says, I realize and understand if you don't want to be here anymore, you can take the greatest severance in the history of mankind. And I looked at him and said, you asked me to come here and help you build something. We haven't finished yet. So reality says there are things in your life. There are dreams that will be broken. There are dreams that will die. And I always tell people when someone calls and says, hey, would you talk to my mother? She just left her job or lost her job. H, would you talk to my sister? Because this just happened to her and it's hard for her to bear. I always come back to the same thing. When you can look in the mirror and say, why not me? If you accept it as, well, how could this happen to me? Or woe is me. 
I can't believe they would do that to me. Then you already defeated. When you can say, why couldn't this happen to me? Now you can figure out how you have to deal with it. And how do you go about focusing on a long-term goal? Let's say you could have a goal of writing a book or starting a business and you have to work on it for a year or three years or five years. How would you go about focusing on something like that? You know, I think what one must do, Brian, what happens is we look at things in a sense, the big picture. So we really say we want to do something and then we want to eat the whole elephant right then and there. You have to do it in sections. And I remember Michael Jordan, MJ said one time, he said, if my goal is to score 30 points a game, 30 points a game is pretty tough. But if I break that down to what I have to do in a quarter, and in that quarter, I can score a couple of baskets. I know I can do that. And then, you know, I got to add in, okay, score a couple of baskets, two baskets, that's four points. If I score three baskets, that's six points. I'm going to add in, I'm going to get fouled a few times. All of a sudden, that's eight points. And then I do that the next quarter. And then I do that the next quarter. Then I do that the next quarter. So that goal that has been so out of reach has simply been broken down to bite-sized pieces. It has been broken down to things that you actually can do. And once those things become habit within you and set in stone within you, you find out that the big audacious goal is only comprised of little spontaneous combustible habits. And that could you be know, habits like, you know, writing 300 words a day, for example. Exactly. You break, you just break it down. You know, here it is. A single spark, a single spark can burn down an entire forest. See, when you see the forest fire raging, no one usually goes back to that single spark. Could have been a bolt of lightning. It could be somebody dropped a match down. It could be a campfire. So that's really that combustion. But you go back and set things that you know you can do. It might simply be 20 words. And you say, boy, I handle that pretty good. I bet I could get 50 in. And once you start achieving these things, really what that does is give you more confidence. And if you have enough confidence, because that's what people buy, they buy the confidence that they see in you. It's often not the product. It's the confidence that one sees. And there you have it, building it up slowly. And how did you find turning your experiences in, into a book, like the actual process of creating a book itself? What did you take away from it? Well, what happened with me, when I go back to that ninth grade year when I went to the new school and got to play basketball, there was an English teacher, Nancy Newstep. Nancy Newstep would tell me, she said, I take your papers home. And I read them to my mother every night. You are a great writer. And Nancy always told me that. So 
you start buying into these things because she started creating this confidence in me that I could write. Now, Nancy Newstep, that ninth grade English teacher, we have a book club today. We pick books. We read books together. And that's my way of telling her, thank you for believing in me. That coach that said in the eighth grade, if you listen to everything I tell you, you could be just like the big O. We still have a great relationship today. My leadership teacher in college, she pulled me to after class one day and she told me that she said, she asked me really, what did I want from that class? And being a kid, I said, I was a junior. I said, I want to, I want to A. She said, no, you should want to learn. And she said that I've only known two people in my life that could command the attention of an entire class. One was a person that she knew in, uh, when she taught at Temple. And she said, the other one is Howard White. I said, who are you talking about? She said, you. She said, but here's a difference. The other person was from the city. When he spoke, everybody knew what he was saying. She said, you have a Southern dialect. When you speak, I don't know what you're talking about half the time. So she wrote a name down. And she said, you contact her and tell her I told you to call. Took me a while, but finally I did call. And it was ask, ask, at, ask. She taught me how to enunciate and pronunciate. I found that teacher after I had written the book. She was an adjunct professor at the University of Georgia. And I found her, found her. And I kept calling. I kept calling until she answered. And I said, Dr. Leedy. She said, this is Charlotte. I said, Dr. Lee, she said, this is Charlotte. Who am I speaking with? I said, this is a voice from your past. She said, who is this? Eddie, I said, no, ma'am. You said there were two. She said, Howard White. She said, Howard White, I was just telling a group of students about you just the other day. I said, Dr. Lee, you haven't seen me in over 35 years. You lied. She said, no, telling you the truth. Tell me what you're doing. And I told her what I was doing. And she said, I told you so. I was like, well, why the hell are you an angel? How would you? And she said, I knew. I just knew you needed some help because I really couldn't understand you. But when I read your papers. So when I grew up and I thought that I had something to share with the world, all I can remember is Nancy said I was a great writer. So I had literally been in New York and I was doing a Believe to Achieve event. And afterwards, I stopped in with a friend to have dinner. We were down in uh, Manhattan. We were having dinner. And his girlfriend stopped by. And she said, oh, I was just stopping by. I was on my way to a place. I just knew you all were here, so I just wanted to stop by and say, hey, we talked. And I said, you know, I think I might want to do a book. And she said, well, you should. I said, yeah, it's not as easy as you think. She said, it probably is. She said, I tell you what. Why don't you write it and I'll edit it? I'm an editor for Doubleday. I said, you were what? She said, I'm an editor for Doubleday, which I did not know. So I said, are you serious? She said, I'm very serious. So I started writing on airplanes, in hotel rooms. Every moment I got, I would start writing. And then eventually I gave her 
kind of this manuscript. And she said, this is really good. She said, I can picture this on every kid's night's table and in their book bags. She said, but what you need, you need a writer. You need like a ghostwriter. You need somebody that can write. And I sent it to a friend. I sent it to the guy, Mark, who had written MJ's book, Mark Vanzel. And he said, hey, take hey, great idea. Send me it and I'm going to find somebody. And he, he found this woman. And what they do, as you well know, you're a writer. They write, you know, about two or three chapters. And she called it Possibilities. And I thought it was good. And then my wife read it and she said, this is pretty good. I said, I thought so. She said, but here's the problem. This is an interpretation of what you want to say. It's not what you want to say. It's what she thinks you want to say. I said, you, she said, exactly. So then I started out and said, okay, I'm going to write my own book. Nancy said I was a great writer. I wrote it. I was on an airplane traveling from Portland to Atlanta. And I was sitting beside this woman, and she said, what you read? I said, I'm just working on this manuscript. She said, well, mind if I read it? And she read it. She The whole trip, she was reading that. Then she said, I really like this. She said, I tell you what, I'm not, I'm an engineer. I went to school for engineer. Also was an English major. I'm a business major. She said, so I like this so much. If you send it to me, I'll edit it for you. Yeah. Lo and behold, she did. Then I took that and then I was with a good friend of mine who was a coach in college, Coach Ravlin. I told he's a avid reader. I said, Coach, read this. This was like on a Thursday, Friday. He called me back that Monday and he said, my wife, he said, Dee Dee just read that manuscript. I said, oh, really? She had just gotten her PhD from USC. She said, she wants to help you. So I had a white woman from Tennessee and a black woman from Los Angeles, both editing this book. In the first ones, I published myself. Yeah. I did not know the name for it. And I called my brother and I said, you know what? I need a name. I need a name for I, I want him to be like warriors. He said, what? I said, kind of like Jedi Knight. That's what I want. I want like Jedi Knight. And my brother was a 12th degree black belt. He said, that's a pretty hard task. I said, okay, well, that's what I want. And about a month had passed, and I had forgotten all about it. He called me on Saturday. He said, uh, I got it. I said, you got what? He said, I got it. I said, you got what? What are you talking about? He said, the book, the, what did you want? These warriors. I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What you got? He said, Ayenda. I said, what? He said, Ayenda. I said, what are you talking about? He said, what have you always wanted to do? I said, well, that's never changed. I want to change the world. He said, exactly. He said, Ayenda is A-A-N-D-I, a little squiggly over the end, little Ayenda. I said, that's Andy. He said, no, it's whatever you want it to be. And he said, it's you and I 
can change the world. I said, I love it. So the very first book that I did was called The Andi Handbook, yeah. which morphed into Believe to Achieve. And where can people find the book now? Uh, you can, for the for international audience, should be in bookstores. Uh, they can go to Amazon. I mean, it should be in, in lots and lots of places. Matter of fact, Coach Rev told me that he walked into a bookstore and bought up the four or five copies that they had. He just needs me to sign them. So it should be out there in the universe. And where can people find you, Howard? At I'm easy. They can always howardhwhite.com. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.